Hey, everybody. Welcome to the House of X Book Club. I'm Rob, and I'm joined by the Quiet Council. With us, I have Shane. Hello. How I'm doing all right. How are you doing tonight, man? Fantastic. I've got Rowan. Hello. And uh, Drew's with us. I hope all the listeners out there can hear me waving frantically. Yeah, it is frantic. <laughs> He's being held up by his feet. So, And <laughs> last but not least, of course, we have Roger. What's going on, Rog? Hi, diddly ho, good neighbor. <laughs> um, <laughs> Roger, you never, I, I swear, man, you you don't need to do anything funny. You just it's make just me a laugh. little Simpsons um, for you there. <laughs> so <laughs> on this particular episode, we are going to cover X-Men number 19 and did anybody get their homework? Strange Tales number 120. Um, uh, first off, I just want to see how you guys are doing. And did you did you get into the reading? I just am a little disturbed. I just saw Drew light a candle, and I'm hoping yeah. he's not planning on seducing his hand later. I light a candle for every Zoom meeting I'm on. Oh, nice. Okay, that's much better. You got to get into that Zoom Zen. You got to set the ambiance, man. Sets the mood. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Cue the very white. Oh. So, yeah. Did, did you guys get into the reading? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. I yeah. did. Cool. This, it's one, good. this one was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. So let's go ahead and start with X-Men number 19, you guys. Uh, the release date on that was February 3rd, 1966. The credits were written by Stan Lee. Jack Kirby did the layouts, which means he just kind of, you know, kind of planned the imagery. Jay Gavin, a.k.a. Werner Roth, did the pencils. Dick Ayers did the inking. Artie Simic did the lettering, and of course, editing was done by Stan Lee. The title of this story was Lo, Now Shall Appear the Mimic. So this story I thought was kind of cool. Um, we have uh, a guy come in contact with the X-Men, and he has the power to mimic their powers. But it's not just their powers. He can mimic uh, other people's abilities as well. And uh, he's kind of a dick and kind of figures out that he kind of has the upper hand on the X-Men because he has all their powers and he's going to use them for his own evil deeds. So, Rob, you might uh, know better than me, but when do the X-Men run into someone who's not a dick? mm. (laughs) Never, because they're always with Professor X. Coming up in about 20 issues where they, they get Candy Southern and Misty Knight. Um, those okay. chicks are pretty, they're pretty straight. You know, they're pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Then there's Vera and Zelda, the the dates that Beast and Iceman go with. But uh, Vera is Vera's kind a, of dick. a dick. Yeah, Vera's a <laughs> dick. <laughs> yeah, but it's so because Hank, she's though. dating Hank. Yeah, yeah so... That, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm just so tired of this cock stain. <laughs> so, um, so I got some questions for you guys. Now, I, I think I mentioned before, maybe I didn't, uh, but the mimic was a character that I 
really liked before I even knew what he was like, before I even read anything by him or with him. Um, I think my first introduction to him was the Marvel role-playing game. And I'm like, there's a guy with all the X-Men's powers. That's cool. Yeah, I I feel like that's right. And he looks like a bad guy. So yeah, he's going to fight the X-Men. Of course, they give you a little bit of background in the game book. And then I read a story, the arc that was in Marvel Comics Presents, um, where I want to say it was like the late 50s, early 60s of Marvel Comics Presents, where he fought the Hulk. Or no, he fought Wolverine, but he looked like the Hulk. And he was big and gray. And, and so it kind of painted him as uh, a sympathetic character. Um, I got to say in this one, my thoughts on the mimic, and I'll just start with that, is that he's, well, he's a dick. <laughs> you know? he's, he's, he's like this bully. He's an incel. I swear he thinks that uh, Vera, Vera belongs to him because he, cause she helped him find books on the shelf. So that's, that's my girl. Uh, but anyway, what do you guys think of the mimic? Everybody that the X-Men meet has roid rage or something. It's very yes. <laughs> I feel like the way that he was presented story-wise at the beginning of the book was very different than the way he was presented at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Like I he was way more sympathetic towards the end of the issue than he was at the beginning of the issue. I kind of found him to be the most su- sympathetic villain so far. Even more than Magneto. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that is a little true because he was trying to win his dead father's approval and, you know, and then maybe I won't cry myself to sleep at night no more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a, what a jerk, though, because he's... I, Rowan and I were talking about this. You know, he spends his time at school taking on the abilities and the knowledge and and all that of everybody around him. So he excels in school, but he thinks that everything should be his. Like he has all this privilege and all this entitlement. Um, and then if somebody barely bumps into him, he just like tears him a new one, you know, the nerve of that guy. Uh, I mean, some of that is defensive, I imagine. Yes, it was. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's always angry. I wonder if a lot of that, again, is is maybe, you know, not just not approval from his dad but the story talks about his dad does a flashback of his father and his father trying to help him and his father was a scientist i just get the feeling that his father wasn't a good father i I don't have a lot to go on that but it just to me it felt that way he i kind of got the feeling that his father tried to be a good father he just was incapable of doing it like he Mm -hmm. didn't not love his son he was just kind of a dick well he, he yeah and he loved his son but he also realized that his like son was a bigger dick than he was. And he built, <laughs> right. he built, he built a machine to take away his his powers. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I I did find this story to be really cool, and and I did also see the mimic in a sympathetic light. Um. He goes to the X Men mansion just ready to take him on. Um. And then. But why, why, why didn't he think to ask for their help? Right. To, like, to get to the machine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he could have even made up the reason. All that entitlement. I, I honestly almost feel like, I, I feel like this character is almost based on a real person because he's got the, he's got that attitude. Like I need to do everything myself. Right. I don't need anybody's help. I'm good enough to do it on my own. That's why he didn't ask. He's being a douche because the situation. 
Right. And he also didn't actually beat them or destroy them. He he just sort of overtook them and then took Marvel Girl and then went working on the machine. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a note here that says, ask Rowan about her feelings on the mimic as a character. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, overall, I think the, the character was mostly done well. I, I do think there I have an issue with how he's portrayed with all of the sudden having mutant powers. Like he there's no shock, there's no clumsiness, there's no what the hell kind of portrayal to him. Um I know that he his gift is that he can have the skills and abilities of people around him and and, and that includes mental prowess. Um but you know when he was growing up that was sort of like within the realm of human aptitude even really smart adults but all of a sudden you can shoot ice all of a sudden you can jump up a lamppost it just seems sort of like that should have at least thrown him for a loop once or twice when cyclops's uh, optic beams first manifest they were shot all over the place wildly because he didn't know what was going on you know and you're so you're saying that there should have been something like that with a learning curve yeah. Right, at least with the the first one or two, you know, maybe by the time he shows up at the X Mansion, he knows that he's meeting the X Men, so he's a little more prepared. But when he when he first interacts with with Beast and Iceman, you figure he'd be a little bit clumsy with it, still able to to do things and able to overtake because they're not going to throw down with their powers well that 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 actually brings up something the i-beam thing all of a sudden he whipped out a pair of glasses and put them <laughs> yeah. on just like cyclops yeah. i'm like wait a minute those are supposed to be specialized glasses where did you get them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well so and how did he know thing... he would need them exactly yeah, that's and that's kind of what rowan's saying um how does he already know how to do all this stuff but the way i look at it is where well, they show him when he's in school and suddenly he knows all the the stuff that the students and the teacher around him know um, knows, you know, all of a sudden he knows how to play basketball. So if he's got Cyclops's optic beam or Jean Grey's telekinesis, already he knows how to use it because that's also part of his power. But he certainly doesn't have time to whip together a pair of glasses, you know. <laughs> Cyclops doesn't know how to build those those uh, quartz ruby quartz glasses. Maybe the professor does, but he didn't. You know, he didn't really see the professor. Well, that's because, right yeah, Xavier is a super genius who can build oh, fucking anything. Nu nuclear <laughs> missiles on the fly. <laughs> Putting uh, nuclear uh, missiles on a fly is never a good idea. Or, or at least that's the thought he implants in Cyclops's brain nightly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Add letting Marvel Girl get kidnapped to the crimes of Xavier. God, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do all these do all the X-Men just have Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, they do. <laughs> like <laughs> they really do. You just ruined it for me, dude. <laughs> I can't read this anymore. I mean maybe. It's uh what's interesting is in the future in the future you're gonna see some storylines where people are like, Professor X was a jerk, and now that he's dead. We don't need to put up with the crap that we put up with. You know, I mean, it, not exactly those words necessarily, but but it it kind of comes around. I think that modern writers 
uh, kind of went with that. They kind of ran with it a little bit. Um, and, you know, they may have explained that Xavier was doing what he felt he had to do. And so he's flawed, but you know, he's no saint. <laughs> well, not to spoil too much, but in the current books, Storm hints at knowing that Xavier is permanently corrupted. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's, I was like, oh, this is getting juicy. Yes. Like, yeah. And not only that, but yeah. Yeah, the beast is becoming more and more like the dark beast from Age of Apocalypse. And mm -hmm. I was just explaining a story to Rowan, um, the uh, the Empire story, where they're fighting zombies and plant people in Genosha. That was great. And it was so great. And the beast is just like, yeah, I'm going to do something a little immoral. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you learn that he does more and more. But yeah. so, so that brings me to another question uh, uh, to Rowan. So tell me about the beast as a character. I think Rowan and I are on the same page with this. Right. I just have a feeling. <laughs> I, he, I think he's a sexist jerk. And I think he's kind of arrogant. And he's always prattling on. And he's always causing more mayhem than he needs to. Ah. You're you're referring to the fact that he keeps calling Jean Grey girl. And he always yes, and that always like female. Yeah. Oh yeah. gosh. Oh female and yeah, girl. He calls he, he calls her female a lot. Like that's her right. name. Yeah. It's not just once or twice. It's pretty much every third issue he's calling right. her female or right. Oh. Or they'll call her lady like they don't know who she is. Get out of the way, right. lady. What? <laughs> right but 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 hank more than any yeah has this this sort of condescension that's that's really grating they all have a little bit of a, a condescension but he has it especially yep it's the worst of all so i i want to bring up something about um again about the mimic he has the powers of all the x-men plus charles xavier at one point um, and this means that the X-Men can't defeat him. To me, uh, I mean, it really felt like, holy shit, he, he can beat them all down because he has all their powers, but it's still like six against one. They couldn't take him down, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, it just felt weird to me. I don't know how you guys feel about that. It, it just seemed a bit far-fetched that he was able to get away. Um, they, he was able to get away because Charles Xavier said, let him get away. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, though, with all of these books so far is like the first half of the issue. It's just the X-Men completely getting wrecked like they just get the, the stuffing kicked out of them. And then the, they make make up for it in the second half. But like that's that's how it plays out. Every every single issue so far has been like, oh, yeah, we're going to get beat for because we're stupid and we can't work together. Oh, and now we're going to work as a team and we're going to win. Like yeah. that's how every book is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a formula that we're fitting into. Even like in the character development too, because like every issue, somebody gets one up on the beast and he's surprised that anyone can get one up on the beast. It's like, it happens every goddamn time. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> can we talk for a second about how when Mimic gets mad before he's in his Mimic character, he gets so mad that his whole head turns pink. Turns red, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that's right. I think same that's... color as Vera's dress. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he's salmon. <laughs> he's he's salmon with anger. Salmon with <laughs> anger. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so yeah, crimes of Xavier here. Let's see. Uh, 
first of all, Charles let the mimic just steal her away so that, uh, you know, Charles could do what he wanted to do. Um, did he, did he though? Yeah. Did he well, really let her? Or yeah, let yeah. He totally did. Did he? Now think he about did. it. I'm no, asking no, he you did. seriously, did he really I, let him? He did. He's like, yeah, let him go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but following that, well, he fucking mind wiped the mimic so he could live a normal life. Uh, that's what he said anyway. But he did. He mind wiped another person. This is a thing he does. A person who needed left. to learn a lesson. Yeah. yeah it's just yeah, his go-to move. Yeah. It would have been better to like use your powers to to calm him down and talk to him, you know, talk some sense into him. I don't know. Convert him into being a good guy or something. But wait though, didn't didn't they think that the machine canceled his ability to absorb other people's powers? Well, yeah. it did at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So was like letting him go, like do you think that they should have like it's just 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 playing devil's advocate here. Do you think that they should have still like taken him in and and like hauled him off or something well at that or, point he wasn't a mutant so right that's what i mean but not not taking him in and like oh come and join us we'll take you down to professor x's basement of sadness um uh, otherwise known as the danger room um yeah. put some <laughs> cartoons on for him and give him a sandwich uh, <laughs> you 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 oh you'll get ice cream later but it's gonna come at a cost Oh God! <laughs> yeah. His father certainly intended for him to know what that machine was about. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that feeling. Yeah, see, I'm with you. I thought that they that the the the, the it taking his powers away was going to be a surprise. Right. That was. I felt like that was his father's end game because right. he knew it would be better for his son. But he the whole time he was like, "Yeah, son, we're going to amplify your powers with this machine." Meanwhile, right. I'm secretly going to take them from you. Right, but what, of course, what was he going to find out? He was going to find out, oh, actually, it doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. But then what was his dad going to do? Probably have a big talk with him about it. So final thoughts on this issue before we move on. Um, for me, overall, I think it's a cool story. Definitely more complex than many of the others. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the last Sentinel story was pretty complex. Uh, the art I thought was was pretty cool. Werner Roth has has his own style, and there are more figures on a page. The art seems more complex than it has been in the past. Um, of course, then there's the mimic who's complicated. He's sympathetic, but he's a villain. Was it? Uh, hold on. Was it Werner Roth? Because my notes say that Jay Gavin was actually talked, given credit. Yeah, we, we talked about this before, Raj. Jay Gavin is Werner Roth. Oh, that was okay. His, okay. He has an alias because he, at the time he he worked on this, he was working for DC as well, and he didn't want them to know. Okay. So, yeah. So, final thoughts from you guys. <laughs> uh, the one thing I liked about this book in particular, um, and and every other book prior to this, and I might be mistaken with this, but from from my recollection, the exposition, like the actual storytelling, of every other book was given in speech from the characters but in this book the exposition came in the form of text blocks which is what i as a, like a modern comic book reader that's what i'm more familiar with so this definitely felt easier and more natural for me as a younger reader to read and i i kind of i like that it's almost like they are sliding into a style that works better and that they're discovering that this is how it should be done and the team is kind of building up or they're pioneering the new style of of comics and how comics are going to really work so it's evolving 
it's evolving. Yeah, we've yeah. noticed it. I mean, we're 19 issues in and we've already noticed how this book is evolving, how comics are evolving. So there's some um, evolution going on in this book because like a third of the way through, everybody's eyeballs disappeared and it was very <laughs> disconcerting. <laughs> I was like, what happened? No one has eyes anymore. Then I couldn't, I couldn't not see it after that. And, and Professor X's head changed shape from panel to panel again. One yeah. like one day he looked like a normal human head, and then the next one it looked like his head was about to give birth to another head. Go back to the first few issues; they gave him a bigger head in the art, and I and that's something I mentioned before that I thought that they were trying to insinuate that he had a bigger brain, and that's where the powers came from, or maybe it's just an art mistake. Who knows? Well, we're going to see something a little bit different coming up here because we're getting ready to go into Strange Tales number one hundred and twenty. Um, we will, of course, meet the Mimic yet again, and uh, we will see the large size of Professor's cranium um, and the beast's big feet and, uh, you know, all that other crap that follows their, their egos as well. But coming up right now, Strange Tales number 120. Its uh, release date was February 11th, 1964. So we're taking a bit of a flashback. We're going back in time because this is the first time the torch, the human torch meets Iceman. And I know we did that Fantastic Four issue, but this took place before then because they had already met by the time we, we read that story. Credit Stanley writing, Jack Kirby doing the pencils, Dick Ayers doing the inks, Sam Rosen doing the letters. And of course, Stanley is the editor again. The story's called The Torch Meets Iceman. Basically, the story is, Bobby is kind of sad, and he even talks to Professor about it. He's like, every time I want to ask Gene out on a date, one of the other guys goes on a date with her instead. Uh, Gene gets around, apparently, and uh, and uh, I'm not good judging. Good for her! Yeah, no, I'm not judging. <laughs> I'm. She's probably the strongest personality in, in, in the bunch as far as somebody who's she's sure of herself. She doesn't like worry about people being sad. She's like, uh, Warren's asking me out. Yeah, I'll go out with him. Look at that Cyclops over there is moping. She does pine a little bit and say, oh, if only he knew. But Cyclops needs to get off his ass. And I think Gene knows that. Bobby Drake decides to go on what they call, call a, a swingers cruise, which I think is kind of hilarious because it doesn't mean the same thing as it means now, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> Yes, I just heard Anigo Montoya going, I do not think that means what you think it means. Yes. <laughs> no. Exactly. So he, uh, now here's the thing. He's running late. So he has to turn into Iceman and pole vault from the dock onto the ship. And the, re and the reason he's, he's going on this cruise is because he wants to meet young people. He just wants to meet people and make friends. And uh, so that's what this is about. Of course, while he's there, he sees a young lady he talks to. Turns out she's the date of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. And if that wasn't a big pain in the ass, the ship's attacked by pirates. <laughs> pirates. Yeah. Pirates. Let's, 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 let's pirate a, cru a cruise ship that's just putzing around the Hudson River. It's fine. Yeah. Pirates on the Hudson River. I think that is awesome. I mean, and they're dressed like pirates too. You know, they these guys aren't afraid. They're they're for full blown like lingo, pirate lingo, and everything. I really enjoyed this story. The main bad guy in it is called Captain Barracuda, and of course he's. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> 
Percy's. <laughs> you got me, man. I'm. I'm just, I can't. I can't keep my shit together. Now. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, now, he's the oh, only pirate. Barracuda. <laughs> God. That's what I thought of. God damn it. This is what it was like growing. This is what it was like growing up with shame, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't changed a bit. Um, yeah, so he's the only pirate captain on the Hudson River. Um, strangely enough, I did some research, and this guy stuck around. He appeared as as most as recently as like Iron Man, an Iron Man issue from 2020. Now, what does a pirate captain have to do against Iron Man? I mean, it's Iron Man. Plays him Jimmy Buffett tunes and makes him feel all melancholy. That's right. <laughs> so, so give me, uh, give me your thoughts on this. This, uh, this issue was very fun. I and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was definitely off the rails. I was like, even yeah. from the first panel, I was like, just started in, and I'm like, wait. It looks like Sue Storm is trying to eat a, a, a vibrator and Reed wants to film it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't, know what the, I didn't realize that's what the Fantastic Four were into. Or it's like like a proto-saber from the Star Wars canon. <laughs> yeah. Like. I like this issue. It was, it was good to me. I, um, yeah. I thought that the way they drew Iceman, I don't know if you guys noticed, he looked more like he did earlier in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that bat flashback feel. Yeah, it, was, it is. It is the, an older book. Yeah, yeah. But he's bow-legged yeah. too. There's like some weird things with the art. Like thing, the thing looks like a sad puppy, and Bobby looks bow-legged. And insofar as the story, the one thing I I had questions about was why did a group of pirates think think that robbing an orgy barge full of swinging teens was the way to make a, a living? You're right. You're not right. going to get any money off of those kids. If there's one group uh, of people that don't have money, it's horny teens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, of course, as it as it turned out, this piddly pirate turned out to be quite a you know quite an an, an enemy. You know, um, of course, he had some technology. He had blaster ray guns and stuff like that. Um, yeah, we'll pirates, see as a common pirates, theme for pirates. Pirates and ray guns is just a, is an odd combination. It's is I was like, is this Starfinder? Have I picked up the wrong book? I'm not. This is odd. It's very very odd. In the future, he goes on to fight the Hulk. He captures Namor. He defeats Hawkeye and Deadpool. And and he also Barrac steals stuff. This is Barracuda. Barracuda. We're talking about. Yeah, dun, he does dun, all dun, that dun, stuff. What? Yeah, Good he does him. all that stuff. And he steals the Proteus horn. I don't know if you guys know what the Proteus horn is, but that's the Atlantean conch, the the the, the yeah. shell that calls the big monsters from the sea. Maybe Robin Teens was just like a, a little training exercise. Yeah. Yeah. He even has at some point um, a base with its own nuclear power plant, and he steals the legendary serpent crown. So he, that's right. That's what a, I was trying. I was like, didn't he steal the serpent ground too? He just yeah. gets one over on Namor constantly. Yeah, yeah, and and you know Namor don't put don't put up with nobody's shit. I mean, nope. <laughs> so, like Drew and 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 you, Shane. I had so much fun reading this story. This to me was like 
an adventure story, you know. Um, I didn't have to worry about thinking that, you know, Professor Xavier shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't <laughs> be doing that. I didn't have to worry about Hank saying something stupid to Vera. I didn't have to <laughs> to worry about whiny ass Cyclops not getting a date because his eyes are gonna blast somebody up, you know. I I took a step away from the soap opera and I stepped into an adventure story and it was pretty cool. I think that's really what did it for me is this this story wasn't trying to be serious. It wasn't trying to take itself seriously. It was just trying to be a fun little adventure. Yeah. And it succeeded 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It was like I said, there was definitely some moments where I was like, wait, why did that happen? Like, I'm surprised that with those hairdos, like, no one panicked the second Human Torch showed up. (laughs) 17 cans of Aquanets per hairdo right there. But one of the things I noticed that I thought was a really cool touch was, like, when Human Torch saves his date from the pirate ship, he's carrying her, and his arm is not in flame. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really really clever and a nice little touch, because I was Mm -hmm. like... I was like, well, she still would have cooked being that close to the human torch, but I'm going to give him to act- for the actually bothering to turn the arm to a flesh color. Nice touch. <laughs> <laughs> I love the art in this issue. And I think, you know, we, we talk about Kirby's art and how, you know, it, it, we're not crazy about it. It's this, a certain style. Um, but here we have Dick Ayers doing the inking. And I, I dig the two of them together. I think they made a great pair, um, especially when it comes to, you know, just average people, you know, the the women and the men and and mm-hmm. the pirates. And all the characters looked cool. I agree. I think I think uh, uh, an artist paired with the correct inker can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, granted, the backgrounds again were nearly non-existent, but this again is 1964 when they were. Yeah. Still crank it out 72 books a day so yeah yep yep yeah well i mean but it's not that they're non-existent but they 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 definitely are inconsistent because like where they would like there are times where it's like okay blue blue background blue background blue background there's a they're on the corridor in a boat going into a door there's another door behind them you can see the open sea off the side of the deck it's just like yeah. clearly they put a lot of effort into the ones where it was like, well, it will matter here, but man, it was top three. <laughs> yeah. One thing I noticed about this issue is it started like the other Fantastic Four issue that we read. Um, I mean, this isn't Fantastic Four. This is uh, the Human Torches Zone title, Strange Tales. But if you remember that Fantastic Four issue, they were all standing around reading and talking about the x-men which is kind of how this whole situation started and the x-men in their book they do something very similar where they're working either they're either having dinner or they're (laughs) zipping around in the danger room and you get to see their powers i really dug this um i do still think it's funny that iceman's not using his ice sled yeah Uh, you know because that would have been an easy way to get across the the you know, the gap from the dock to the ship. Um, but he creates an, a pull vault. That's something I've noticed about him, though, because I, I because I'm playing as Iceman in the um, in the role-playing game we're doing, I've paid more attention to Iceman than probably any other character. Yeah. But one thing from, from, from issue one until, uh, you know, the more later issues, he definitely evolves that. Like, at first, it was literally just a slide. He could only go down it. 
Yeah. And then it eventually evolved into him, you know, doing his ice surfing thing on it. And so I, I think that's just wasn't in his power set. I mean, it probably was, but as far as, you know, the writers, the creators are concerned, it's not something he did yet. You might be right about that. He might not do the ice slide yet. Uh, I think he did the ice slide in issue number 19, which is, of course, two years later. So um, but that's an interesting way to think about it. I, th I think you may be right. Mm -hmm. um, anything in this issue surprise you guys? Anything that made you go, wow, that was really cool? Any specific thing? Yes. Um, and it's super minor, and I don't know a lot about the Human Torch, so it, this could be nothing as far as you guys are concerned. But there was a one moment when he got dumped into this, the water, and so he lost his fire powers or whatever, his, his flame on. And so he was wet, and he couldn't flame again, and so he went and hung out in the chimney of the ship, like the big smokestack, and dried himself off. I like that. Just that whole <laughs> yeah. concept was cool to me. I don't know why. That is something that kind of changes over time, too. Uh, I mean, there are definitely times where the Human Torch can't even turn his flame off, even if he's in water. That is definitely a, a little evolution of character. And I think part of that is like if he gets it, like if he gets dumped into the water and he's not ready for it, he can't turn in. But like if he can turn himself hot enough before he goes in, he can stay yeah. lit, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. What is it, like a supernova? I just thought it was very good, quick, smart thinking on his part. Yeah. 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 I like the thing they did on page 12 of the book that the first panel confused me. I was like, why is a, a barge that's going to sail around the bay for a couple hours have multiple 50-gallon drums of gasoline on the deck of the boat? And I was like, Meh, well, it's a plot device. Because then in the next panel... <laughs> They dump it on the deck of the boat and it melts Bobby's ice. And I thought that was really neat. That, that was like the, that was like the arm not being mm -hmm. flamed on. Well, see, this is, this is a Barracuda thing. They, they kind of tell you about this. They kind of make you realize that he's such a badass because he's intelligent. Um, yeah. I don't know how really how smart the guy is, but he's certainly a lot smarter than many of the other villains that we've, you know, there's so many single-minded villains. This guy is thinking on his feet. And, and I think that's pretty cool. Then that's kind of the, the thing I, I said about Human Torch. That's what I like. He thought on his feet, he got warmness of yeah. Maybe it's just because the X-Men don't do that. They're kind of dumb. Maybe we're just <laughs> surprised by intelligence anywhere we see it now. They don't really think on their feet. They just, no. considering that there's supposedly a really smart guy in the group, they kind of defer to the professor a lot. They act really hopeless. A lot of the times we're like, oh, what do we do now? Well, this might sound might sound kind of silly, but it's going to go back to uh, what we've talked about before, where I kind of feel like all that is because the X-Men as a comic book series wasn't quite as important to Stan or Jack as true. the Fantastic Four. Because this issue was released in 1964 and we're currently reading X-Men from 66 and they're still doing stupid shit. So, right. <laughs> so they just really don't care as much. <laughs> well, either that or, you know, that since Professor X mind wipes them at the end of every day, we can assume that their brains have the consistency of Jell-O instant pudding. Yeah. Mashed potato flavored Jello. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is gross. Did anyone else notice that Bobby seemed to be a little bit more mature in this issue? Because I felt like he was. Like once you get him away from the X Men, yeah, he's got a little bit more going for him. He's just kind of pining because he doesn't have a girl. 
Yeah, well, I that was what I, bad influence on I wrote was I said, Iceman was really a drag in this issue. <laughs> yeah, just... he was, but I mean, he wasn't the, the goofy moron that he tends to be in a lot of the X-Men issues. But well, like I said, you see him and Hank goofing yeah. off. They're always, yeah. and they always get scolded either by Gene or by Angel or by Cyclops. Yeah. By Scott. By, yeah, because they're always screwing around. And that gets so old. I get so tired of that. Mm-hmm. Every issue. So I think that Having him on his own is really neat. I'm looking forward to at some point maybe reading his, you know, his uh, limited series because he ends up having his own, you know, four issue miniseries. Around this time frame, he does. No, no, much it's later. Like, okay. early, like early late eighties. Yeah, late seventies, early eighties. Hmm. Yeah. And then hmm. for that's around the same time, Nightcrawler had his own miniseries and. And Wolverine had his own miniseries. Yes. <laughs> there was Storm and Magic. No, but I bring up the Nightcrawler one because it carries on with the theme of the pirates. Yes, pirates. <laughs> so for the next 20 years, it's going to be pirate action for you, Drew. How do you feel I, about that? I'm a sucker for pirates. That's cool. That's good to know because we, you know, shortly we've got another coming up. So, yep. Um, yep. Did anybody uh, read the second half of this book? uh the second half of oh the doctor strange part yeah you know i it's been a long time i have read it but i skipped it for this particular uh for this particular do you want to give us a quick fill in oh no i mean i just was i just kind of i kind of flipped through it because i like the steve ditko art oh, steve ditko art is so beautiful but it's yeah. like sometimes doctor strange looks like vincent price and i just want him to fetch my magicking slippers wong it's just no but it it was like i was like i just i i I didn't really read it because i was kind of running short on time but yeah i i felt like yeah just the art like the eye of agamotto and the and the the pennant and then the eyeball detaches like it's it's amazing you know there's some psychedelic shit going on there and i am i am looking forward to getting into some Steve Ditko, uh, you know, crossovers through through the X Men, mm-hmm. so it'll just, happen. Yeah, um, just like when, like, whenever, so like when he's just being, you know, Stephen Strange or talking, uh, he looks fine. But then whenever he's doing magic, he gets those big, thick, dark, heavy lines, and it's mm-hmm. like it's like he's into some shady shit now, kids. Yeah. Check his this eye- out. His <laughs> eyebrows get all pointy, and his, you know. <laughs> <laughs> lots yeah. more shadowing and smoke lots. and yes ominous yeah. inking <laughs> well uh any final thoughts on this book as we say goodbye to uh strange tales number 120 i thought that the story overall was a lot of fun it was yeah. it was nice and light and sometimes i mean like that it was only half of an issue sometimes that really challenges a creative team to put together a whole and cohesive story that can have a beginning middle and end even just within that um i think it's eight pages or Mm -hmm. uh, i say 14 pages so these must have been large issues okay well we'll probably dip into some strange tales again in the future now i'm with you though i thought it was a lot of fun like the art like the writing i liked how it was fast paced um some of these X-Men issues, I have to say, as much as I love them, and I do love them, I talk some shit about them, but I love them. Some of them seem to kind of drag on a bit. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think the pacing is one reason that the story works so well. If it had been a full-sized issue, mm-hmm. it would have gone too too long. 
well, you know, maybe that's something they should have done with the X-Men is giving them a book, book giving yeah. them a book where they had half an issue to do a story and, and then give the other half to somebody else, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, right. that, that could have been a good format, like, especially like at towards the sixties when it, you know, when it wound up getting canceled, that mm. would have been a good way to keep it around. But yeah, that would have changed yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole trajectory of of giant size X Men and everything <laughs> that came after that too. A regular sized issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, all right, well, thanks guys for coming. That was uh, that was a lot of fun, and the read was good. We covered X Men number nineteen and Strange Tales number one twenty. Um, next time. Next time we meet, we are going to be talking about Daredevil number 12 and X-Men number 20. So uh, it should be a blast. John Romita Jasta. John Romita Jasta. Yes, John Romita's first edition. (laughs) Really cool. An iconic iconic artist, and we get to see his first issue uh, in our book club. So, all right, you guys, we'll see you next time. Excellent. Bye-bye.